0: As a product manager, one of your most precious resources is your cognitive storage tank. In some ways, it's as precious as your time, and I don't mean how smart you are, really, but your capacity to apply your intelligence to the work that you need to do to the important work. So your cognitive storage tank is a little bit like a muscle or a fuel storage tank. When it's exhausted, your cognitive abilities stop working as well, and when that happens, it means you can't be as innovative, you can't be as creative, or your decisions get worse things like that. Fire. Four, three, two, one. We have ignition. Welcome to episode 314 of All the Responsibility, None of the Authority, the podcast for product managers, product marketers, innovators, founders, and everyone who is working to create more value in the world with products. I'm your host, Nels Davis. The last two episodes, numbers 312 and 313, have been about product management tools. And this episode is not about tools per se, but more about one of the most important things we're trying to manage with our tools. And of course, I do get a little bit into tools toward the end. To improve our effectiveness as product managers, one key step is managing that cognitive storage tank. There is some controversy about the specifics of how this works, this cognitive storage tank. And you might hear it referred to by other terms. But, for example, does thinking about cake really help recharge your cognitive capacity? Well, there's some people that think that it might. But it's clear that using our brain depletes our storage tank of cognitive capacity. We all know our brain is kind of tired at the end of a, a day of lots of decisions and things like that. There are a lot of things that we do every day to drain our tank as well. For example, making decisions... It doesn't matter if it's deciding what to have for lunch or which feature to prioritize in the next release, it will create a drain. Another drain on your cognitive storage tank is using willpower, like keeping yourself from eating one of those cookies in the break room. If you've just made a hard decision or you've participated in a difficult meeting, you're more likely to eat that cookie. And if you've already made the decision not to eat the cookies that Sam brought in, then the product decision you make after lunch might not be as good because you've depleted Your cognitive storage tank a little bit. Now, since our job as product managers is to be creative and to make those decisions and to innovate, it stands to reason that we should pay a little bit of attention to managing our cognitive storage tank. We can be more effective if we preserve our cognitive resources for the purposes that we are essentially getting paid for, creation, innovation, decision-making, and not let them get drained off by some of the lower value demands. So what are the types of lower value demands on our cognitive resources? Well, I mentioned deciding what to have for lunch. Well, I'm I'm really always gonna be interested in what's for lunch. So that's an area where I might not pay much attention to reducing my cognitive demand. I I'm always going to decide what to have for lunch, so I'm not gonna eliminate that decision a lot of time. Although if you take your lunch to work, then you have eliminated that decision. You might still have that feeling of, Oh, I'd still like to go out and get that burger. It can still weigh on you. But if you are good about taking your lunch and you just eat your lunch, you don't have to make that decision at the time that you're using all your cognitive resources for doing other more creative and important work. But there's a lot of other opportunities, and one of them is other types of low-value decision-making. Jeff Bezos of Amazon puts decisions into two categories, type 1 and type 2. Type 1 decisions are irreversible. If you make the wrong decision, it can have a big negative impact that can't be mitigated by changing course. Whereas type 2 decisions are reversible, like walking through a door, If your decision turns out to be bad, you can reverse the decision, walk back out the door without much loss. Bezos recommends spending very little cognitive energy on these type two decisions. Just make a decision to move on, go back out the door if it doesn't work out. This preserves your cognitive resources for the type one decisions, which is where you need to be putting a lot more attention. Another set of demands on your cognitive resources are negative emotions like uncertainty and fear. So we've talked a little bit about uncertainty and in the sense of decision making, but there's also if you're worried about something that you can't change or that whatever action you take won't affect, that can be a use of your cognitive resources that isn't gonna give you any benefit. And so maybe you should try not to have that worry or fear at that point. There's also sort of low value cognitive tasks like the things that we often find ourselves doing during the day, searching for things or trying to find old information. Or being distracted, so we need to limit those impacts on our cognitive resources to the degree that we can. Now we can't avoid all of them; it's just life that you get distracted. But we could think about how to reduce some of them, and maybe that's why we often go into an empty conference room if we need to do some intense work on a presentation or something like that. I, at least I do that. So, what are the what are some low value decisions that we can think about, and how do we reduce their impact? We'll take the familiar example of reviewing the list of features you could have the team work on. So if you have a long list of features and every time you need to decide what the team should work on, you have to look at every feature, well, you might be wasting a lot of cognitive energy because some of those features are never going to rise to the top of the list of features to implement, at least maybe not based on the current set of strategies that the business is focusing on. So there may be, you may have a hundred features, more likely you have a few hundred, and there's some that just aren't aligned with what the business is trying to achieve in the in the near term. And so what you can do is you can stack rank your backlog. So the lowest priority features, the ones that aren't aligned with your strategy, are at the bottom. And then for the next month, you don't even look at those. And so all of your cognitive energy is focused on the maybe the top 10 or 20 features, and you're effectively able to ignore the bottom 80. So this enhances your cognitive resources because you don't have to look at or think about any of those features that are further down the backlog than about 10 or 20 places. And if you manage things right, you don't need to even think about the 50 features that you're never going to get to. So this is one of the many ways that the agile approach to project management has been very powerful as a cognitive energy enhancer. Now, agile is a way of thinking It drives you to focus on just the most important things and to ignore or defer less important things and also to not do less important activities like maybe documenting in detail features that you're not going to work on for a year. Don't document them now. That's one of the things that Agile tells you. And so it reduces the impact of those less important things on your cognitive resources so you can apply your cognitive resources to the more important things. It's a very good outcome. Another cognitive resource enhancer related to decision making is the idea of handling each input only once. Now this is something you often read about in productivity books. You get the input, you know, whether it's an email or a document or something like that, and you either take action on it right then, you do, that, you do the thing that maybe the email asked about, you maybe delegate it to someone, you defer it to a future date, a, a specific date, or you delete it. Now obviously if you defer it, you might have to revisit it at a future date, But for now, at least it's out of your input stream. Now, I find that practically in the product management world, I can't do that very often. I can't specifically literally do this process, but I often will let a set of things batch up. Oftentimes there's an email thread or something like that, and I will let the responses batch up and then deal with them all as a group. So it's another way sort of to manage all those pieces of input is essentially in some way I'm sort of doing a mini-deferral of each one until there's enough information that I can actually take action. So let's think about how we can take some of these ideas and apply them to product management. So I've, I've talked about the stack ranked backlog. You're probably doing that already because you're probably already doing some kind of agile. And that's a really powerful tools for product managers really at any level of abstraction, feature, epic, or even product. Putting things on the bottom of a backlog so you won't have them in your face all the time frees up cognitive resources. I've actually often talked about having a tool for helping me manage my requirements or features or stories. And I could tell the tool, don't show me this story for six months because it's not aligned with our strategy. And then the tool would, whenever I did a search, the tool would just fail to show me that story because I told it I don't care. And so that would actually be really a great way for a tool to reduce my use of cognitive resources. It's sort of like the next step of stack ranking. It's saying, disappear this thing because I don't need to look at it for a long time. So just make it go away as if it doesn't exist. And then it doesn't impinge on my cognition and I don't have to do anything about it. The tool is actually taking over that problem for me. Another big drain on cognitive resources for us product managers is remembering things. We're always talking to customers and learning about their problems. And we do this continually over years and years. So So do our colleagues. And the fact that we have these conversations and they go into our big brains, we're smart people, but we still forget things. There are really three problems with remembering things for product managers. One of them, it takes cognitive resources to recall a memory, even if you do actually remember it. Our memory is not perfect, and you often don't remember everything, even though you may think you do. And, of course, you can't remember things that somebody else experienced. So if you have a product management colleague who went and had a really great conversation six months ago with a customer that would really tie into the type of things that you're interested in figuring out right now, some feature that you're working on, Well, if you don't know that that conversation occurred, if you weren't in that conversation, if that conversation wasn't documented, it's really 100% useless to you. This idea of having memory be an enterprise capability, we typically are very challenged by that. So you're not only using your cognitive resources to recall the information, the information you recall may be faulty, or you may not even have access to the memory because it's in somebody else's head. You can even fail to remember the information that's in your head, so you've forgotten it. At that point so memory is a big problem so generally speaking this is why we actually write things down you go and talk to a customer you take notes you put them in your word document or whatever of course to really get the cognitive benefit you also need to be able to search these notes you need to find a way to find and retrieve the stuff that you wrote down and what other people wrote down ideally and that's why we don't just write down like for example our bug reports in a big notebook instead we use a bug reporting tool and we have wikis and salesforce Dot com and other database-based systems. But the fact is that for many of us product managers, we still use the digital equivalent of a notebook, which is like a, our own copy of Microsoft Word, or even Evernote, or even an actual physical notebook to write these things down. And that means if we use Word, we can do some amount of search on our own notes. If we use Evernote, search is better. But our colleagues typically can't search our notes. So we really suffer from that cognitive resource standpoint, Without this good place to write things down, so a good database-based system, in which we store the information we create and then save it for later, and most of us don't have one of those. And there's a lot of reasons, a lot of historical reasons, and in many cases they're not really good reasons anymore for this situation, such as you know the data that's important for us as product managers and that we generate. Is often free form, it's customer interview notes, it's competitive analyses, it's feature specifications, and simple database based tools like Excel or bug tracking systems or even Salesforce are not that good for managing this kind of information. To the degree that we do write things down, we're usually using single user tools like Word or Evernote, and that means that they're almost never stored in such a way that they become an enterprise asset, meaning that other members of the team can access our memories as they were written down and we can't access theirs. I think this is an important insight to have about what we do as product managers and sort of some of the big cognitive demands on us and why there are certain types of things that we're really not able to take advantage of, like the fact that our team members have talked to customers a lot. How do we avoid this, not only the cognitive load of trying to come up with the memories ourselves, but the impossibility of using other people's memories, and the potential failure of our own memory. I know that we already write down a lot of things, but since they're not in a database-based systems, which we can search, we're limited. One simple answer is to say, well, let's just put all these artifacts, the customer interview notes, the competitive analyses, into some kind of a tool that does have some ability to be like a database, be multi-user, things like that. Now, ideally, this would be a tool that knew about the types of data that product managers use and that did things that were product management related, right? So, for example, one of the things I always talk about is I would love to be able to put my customer interview notes into a tool that was multi-user that all my colleagues could access, but then I could go into into the notes and annotate them and other people could go into the notes and annotate them to, to highlight the parts of the interview that seem interesting. Even if we don't know exactly why they're interesting today, but I want some you know human intellect to go in and say, well, this looks like an interesting statement, don't know how to connect this to other things yet, but it's interesting, so track it. And then maybe later on, the tool says, hey, here's a bunch of interesting statements that were made. I have inferred the tool. I have inferred some connections between these. Or can you, the human being, infer some connections between them and, and say whether they're related? Something that somebody said six months ago in an interview something somebody said three months ago to another product manager in an interview, something somebody just said to me last week that I captured in an interview. Those things may all be related. If I don't have some tool support to help me figure out those relationships and amplify the weak signal that's indicated by the fact that multiple people have said related things, then I am likely to leave that on the floor and never take advantage of it and perhaps never create the next great feature. That those connections imply in my software this would probably be a database based system like all these other tools you know you can use a wiki for this the problem with the wiki of course it doesn't know anything about product management specifically but they are searchable they're also linkable so it's easy to link maybe a customer interview notes to a feature specification that was driven by insights from that interview and then to link that specification to the specific tasks in jira for example. That implement the feature so you can do that with a wiki even though it's not a product management tool per se it doesn't know anything about product management but even using a wiki we can get a lot of benefits in addition to the cognitive benefits that i mentioned before when you use one now i have a link to a previous podcast in the show notes with some ideas along the lines of how to best use a wiki as a product management tool the show notes for this show are at alltheresponsibility.com and I'll put a link to the previous podcast into there. Now, finally, there's another substantial limitation in our cognitive capabilities, which is is our ability to do analysis in our heads. Imagine you have 30 features to prioritize, and your prioritization criteria include, does this feature benefit one of our top three customers? Does the feature help enable one of our two key themes for this release? Does the feature give us an important competitive differentiator for upcoming sales engagements. Those are our three big sets of criteria. Some customers, some themes, and we want to make some competitive differentiation. Now, of course, you also have to keep in mind things like dependencies and other relationships and resource demand and capacity. And so it's very difficult to do that level of prioritization in your head, even for just 30 features, which most of us have more than 30 features to prioritize. You can trust me on this because I've tried to do it. And If your executive board suddenly decides that a different set of customers is more important than the original three, or it adds or takes away resources, can you redo this prioritization effectively in your head? You know, this is one of the most critical things that we do as product managers is to prioritize what to work on. But it's very difficult to do it well in your head, especially if you want to have some kind of an analytical approach. And this is not just a matter of preserving or managing your cognitive resources, but the job... Actually overloads your cognitive resources. We're not computers; we can't really keep all that information in our head. You know, you could potentially imagine improving your cognition to some degree by taking, a, you know, maybe a performance-enhancing drug or something. But even that's not going to get you to the point where you can keep thirty features well-defined in your head with all of their relationships. So what do you do about it? Well, again, just as many other business processes have done, you can do some amount of automation. The tools for doing this are harder to find. Than the tools for capturing our interview notes, what you really need is a framework for doing analytical prioritization. And if it could be integrated into one of these other systems that I described earlier for capturing our information, you know, the backlog system, the memory support system, then it would be even more valuable. You know, I mentioned that the customer interview can be linked to the feature that was driven by insights from the customer. Well, that means that if a customer is one of those important ones for this release, then I should be able to easily see that feature is aligned with the release, right? So I have a feature. I know that it a particular customer I interviewed is interested in it, I also know separately that that customer is important for our strategy. So that should make that feature more important in my prioritization. If I've also noted that that feature helps us with one of the key marketing themes, that would raise its priority even higher. And so these are all pieces of information you could imagine associating to the feature, what customers want it, what marketing themes it aligns with, what competitors it helps us differentiate from. And if I then had a system that could help me tie all that stuff together and do some analysis on it, a lot of this analytical prioritization could just arise simply out of the relationships that we've captured as part of our normal product management activities. To tie this all back to the original goal of improving product management effectiveness and improving our use of our cognitive capacity, you know, one of the limits to our effectiveness is this set of cognitive resources or this cognitive resource tank And whatever we can do to manage those better will contribute to improving our effectiveness. Now, what does product management effectiveness really mean? Well, it really means more revenue because the more effective we are as product managers, the better we are at making decisions about what solutions to take to market because, of course, the solutions we take to market are the things that we make revenue on. and If we make better decisions on that, that means we make more revenue. And so the real metric of product management effectiveness is revenue growth maybe even profit growth, because if we can create more revenue just by making better decisions, that's essentially no additional cost. Then all the additional revenue we make goes directly to the bottom line, which is kind of cool. The point is that if our overall goal in life as product managers to become more effective, then thinking about our cognitive capacity and managing that cognitive resource tank, one way to help us become more effective, and then we can start to think about what are the things that will help us do that. And I mentioned a few one of them is tools, but there's a few other things. We can talk. We can manage our attention, as I talked about at the beginning, make sure we don't think about or act on an important things when we can avoid it, You know, making two type one decisions. Let's not spend a lot of effort on those things. We can use systems to augment our faulty and slow memory and to help us collaborate better. And we can use systems to enable us to do analytics that we could never do in our head and therefore make better decisions. You know, by improving the management of these cognitive resources, we will become more effective at product management. As I like to do in a lot of these podcast episodes, I'm going to give you three things you can start doing to put these ideas into practice. But I have to admit that in reality, for most of us, these activities are pretty much aspirational. Hopefully you can see and understand how much value you'd get from these activities. But you will also understand that without better tools, it's hard to make them operational in real life. Now, I think there's three things you can start to do or think about doing immediately to put these ideas into practice. The most obvious one is stack ranking your backlog. I think it's likely that you're already doing that. But the real important thing to do is to then ignore the stuff at the bottom of the backlog and only revisit it on a periodic basis and not every time you're looking at your backlog, of course. So there's this idea in Agile that you stack rank your backlog, and then if things change in the world, you then go and revisit that prioritization and and maybe bring things up that were previously low priority and and push things down that were previously high priority. But typically, the things at the bottom of your backlog are not going to be affected by those types of short-term changes. So you have to balance that a little bit, but the goal is to be able to ignore a lot of stuff. Another thing you can do is you can start putting your customer interview notes and other free-form documents into an enterprise system that will enable you to do searching and linking. This would be like a wiki or a better tool if you have access to that. Most wikis are not as easy to use as things like Word or Evernote. And so what you might want to consider is creating a little bit of an overhead of a practice. So you continue to take your notes in your preferred tool, your single-user tool, but then you move them into a place where they can be linked to and highlighted and things like that. And again, that might be a wiki. And that's the thing to think about. And I've actually done that at a few different companies. And it's surprising how much benefit you can get out of doing that. I take my notes that I wrote in Evernote. I stick them into Confluence or whatever wiki I have. And then I actually use the Confluence capability to highlight. I highlight what I think are potentially significant comments that I heard or thoughts that I had as I was writing. The really valuable thing for me has been to go back and look at those notes later because I find people were talking about issues three months ago that I have started to pay attention to now. And so I can always find additional evidence for different kinds of decisions that I might need to make. Now, it's really great if you can get your colleagues to put their notes into the system in the same way. That's a little, often a little harder. But at least doing it for yourself turns out to be pretty valuable. Now, the third thing, of course, is this analytical prioritization having some kind of a way to do analytical prioritization for your features. Now, I have a whole set of podcasts and articles about that. I'll link to some of them in the show notes. Once you can start capturing the relationships of your features to the key drivers of your strategy, like your customers, competitors, market themes, resource demand, risk, and so on, you can start doing analytical prioritization. Now, analytical prioritization doesn't really necessarily replace your own intuitive prioritization. You have a lot of expertise. You know a lot about your market and you have experience and, but you want ideally your analytical prioritization to line up with your intuition. If it doesn't, that means either there's something wrong with your analysis or there's something wrong with your intuition. And you might want to know that and then make some additional decisions about that. I hope these ideas will be helpful for you as you improve your effectiveness as a product manager and start to consciously manage your cognitive resource tank. Let me know in the comments on the show notes if you have additional thoughts or questions. You can see the show notes at alltheresponsibility.com 314. In the show notes, you can find links to a few articles that I've mentioned and other podcasts related to Cognitive Storage Tank and product management tools. If you like this podcast, please subscribe via iTunes or your favorite subscription method, and please consider rating and reviewing the podcast. This feedback is very helpful for me and helps other people find it. You can follow me on Twitter at nilsey and read my essays about product management at secretpmhandbook.com. I have a book called The Secret Product Manager Handbook. It's available on Amazon, in Kindle, and paperback. You can check it out, especially if you're relatively new to product management or know someone who is. It's got some good basic information about what is product management, what are the fundamental things we do, how do we create value in the market. So I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Until next time, this is Nels Davis. Bye-bye. Ignition.